Welcome to a Reformation edition of The Bible Teachers. Please join Etienne McClintock and Dr. Barry Harker in the studio for today's study. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in to this special program on the Reformation. This is part three of a three-part program where we've looked at the issues that uh, took place during the Reformation that has been playing out in the last 500 years. I'm Etienne McClintock and in the studio my special guest is Dr. Barry Harker. Barry, welcome. It's good to have you here to do the third program in the series. Good. It's nice to be here, Etienne. And uh, Dr. Barry Hark has just written a book which will be available on Amazon from mid-November on the, the year 2017. And the book is called It's Sunday in America. Now, a lot of the material that's covered in this program, well, not in the same detail perhaps, is actually in the book. So this uh, this program we're going to do today, out of which chapter would this chapter be coming? Two. Chapter 2. Okay. Mm. So we've covered a number of aspects so far in the program. If you want to just summarize those for us. Okay. First of all, we looked at the authority of Scripture because that was the central issue in the Reformation. Hmm. Who was going to have authority? What was going to have authority? Yes. And uh, we looked at the fact that the Catholic Church has not only the Scriptures as its authority but also its traditions yes. and the teaching authority of the popes and the bishops called hmm. the magisterium, hmm. whereas the Reformers saw Scripture as the sole authority. And so we looked at this whole question, does the Scripture have authority? And we discovered that in Scripture, it does. Mm. Um, In fact, the way in which the Scripture is is outlined actually gives us information about the fact that um, Scripture has authority and that reason, which is sometimes given the primary role in intellectual activity, is actually a... um, it's a contingent activity. It's a dependent activity. Sure, yes. And that um, you can only get a really logical use of reason when it's in submission to revelation. Mm. Not, not blind revelation, but revelation that can be tested. Yes. And then in the second program, we looked at uh, the whole question of papal authority. Mm. Was a unique authority and role given to the pope? Mm. Um, did he have authority over other members of the church? And we discovered the answer was no. We also looked at the whole concept of apostolic succession, which indicated that um, apostolic succession is really being like the apostles mm. spiritually. So if, you, right. so if you didn't behave like the apostles, there was no such thing as apostolic succession. This yeah. is what Jesus said to the, the Jews, and he just said, well, look, if you're Abraham's seed, because they were claiming to be Abraham's That's seed, right. so they just thought it was all you know, sort of stitched up for them. Mm. And he said, look, if you were Abraham's seed, you would actually do the works of Abraham. In other mm. words, you would be like Abraham. That's right. So that principle means that if you examine the lives of the popes and they don't measure up to the life of Jesus mm. and the way that he behaved and what he taught, mm. then there's no apostolic succession functioning. That's right. So we're now on to the third issue, and we're going to look today at what I call the Achilles heel of Protestantism. Mm. Okay. And this is if you claim to have the authority derived from Scripture, then you must also believe and act in accordance with Scripture. And we're going to look at an issue which has dogged the Reformation for the last 500 years mm. and, okay. have a look, and have a look at the implications of that. So we're really asking whether anyone has the authority to change the Seventh-day Sabbath to a Sabbath based on the first day of the week. So right. that's, our, that's our topic today. Okay. That's, that'll be an interesting topic. So mm. we'll examine the claim whether Jesus or any of the apostles or anybody changed it as well. That's right. Mm. So let's dive right in on Romans chapter 6, mm. 
and verses 3 to 6. And maybe, Etienne, you could read that for me. Sure. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. What we discover here is that the sign of the resurrection, something to memorialize the resurrection, was the act of baptism. baptism. Yes. All right. So this, so there's really only two um, things that come down to us from the the time of Jesus that are sort of like rituals or ceremonies. Hmm. One is the Lord's Supper. Yes. Or the communion service. Hmm. Roman Catholics call it the Eucharist. Or the mass, and the um, the other is baptism. Mm. So baptism and the Lord's Supper, and so baptism was designed to be a symbol or a sign of the resurrection. So every time someone was baptized, it was a symbol of their death to their old self, mm. um, and then rising to newness of life. Yes. And so the immersion in the water was a symbol of washing away the past. Mm. and giving a person a new future. So the symbol of baptism was there. But over time, this was changed. So to accommodate, in in the early church, to accommodate the pagans, their symbol of the resurrection was the rising sun. Okay. So when the sun rises, that's a symbol of resurrection. So to accommodate the pagans, and I'm sure it was done with a good intention, the... The the outcome, basically, was that emphasis was being placed on Sunday as the symbol of the resurrection. Mm, The venerable day of the sun. Yeah, as a a memorial of the resurrection. But, you know, God had already packed that into the Sabbath. Mm. I want you to have a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15 for me. It says, And remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now this is a recapitulation. It occurs in the book of Deuteronomy, which is, Deuteronomy just means second law. So Mm. it's a recapitulation of the law. So Moses is recapitulating what he's already given to the Israelites. But interestingly, in Exodus 20 and verses 8 to 11, he gives... The, um, the reason for the Sabbath, and that was that God was the creator. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, that, that's true. Um, basically, we, we don't worship because Jesus rose from the dead. We actually worship because God is the creator. creator. Yes. So no one who is a, anyone who is not a creator has no right to worship. Mm. Only the creator has right to worship. So worship is based on creatorship. Mm. So in this case... God packs into the Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20 the notion that he's the creator and all of his authority to give the law is derived from that fact, from Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11. But when you come down to Deuteronomy 5.15, he's recapitulating the law. The Israelites are then given an additional reason, not, mm. not a replacement reason, but an additional reason, a supplementary reason for, for worshipping the Sabbath. And yes. it says, remember that you are a servant 
Mm. And God brought you out. And by the way, the whole concept of Egypt in, in a spiritual sense, we discover in um, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. And I'm just wondering if you'd like to read that for us. But we see that the, 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 the symbols associated with this deliverance already packed into the Sabbath commandment, as we've just seen in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15. Mm. So what does it say? It says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay, so in the spiritual sense, if you're being delivered from Egypt, you're being delivered from sin. Yes. And sin is bondage. That's right. right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Mm. So... And we also read about bondage to bondage to the self, to the to the old nature, to the flesh, to the body of sin, and so forth. So, the Sabbath is actually a sign of deliverance from sin, and this is centuries before the change of the Sabbath in the early part of the Christian dispensation, yes, or in the earlier parts. So, what we see there in Deuteronomy five is that Jesus defeats death, delivers us from Egypt, delivers us from sin, Mm. and this is packed into baptism, and it's already been packed into the Sabbath as a sign of deliverance. Mm. And so um, that's really significant because then we look at other parts of Scripture and discover that the Sabbath is a sign of something. And I'd like you to um, just read Ezekiel chapter 20, and verse 12. It says, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Okay, so it's a sign of the relationship between God and his people. Mm. Okay, now have a look at verse 20 in Ezekiel 20. Hello, my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. So there it is again. Yeah, so the one is a, that you may know that the Lord sanctifies. The other one is that we may know that he is the Lord our God. Yes. Mm. And so basically what you're seeing here is that the Sabbath encapsulates the deliverance of God's people from Egypt or the land of bondage. Mm. So that concept of the resurrection is already packed into the Sabbath commandment. So there's no need to change from Sabbath to Sunday right. to actually celebrate the, the deliverance from bondage. Christ rising from rising from the dead, and when we go into the waters of baptism and come up, symbolising death, the self, death of the old man, and rising to a new a new life, a newness mm. of life. Yes, interesting. There in uh, Ezekiel twenty verse twenty, where it talks about the Sabbaths to be hallowed because they are a sign, and it's a sign between God and us, and it, it's to distinguish. God as the real God from all the other false gods there, or even people who might claim to be God. Yes. Because he says that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So the God, the creator, the God who instituted the Sabbath after he created the earth in six literal days, Yes. this is a sign of his creative power and his redemptive power. Okay, so he's a creator in two senses. Mm. So he creates us physically, yes. but he also recreates us spiritually. Spiritually, yes. Okay, so that, that, that's, that sign of deliverance, that sign of relationship is already packed into the Sabbath. Mm. Now, there's an idea that we should actually celebrate the dawn of creation. Okay. Yeah, but if you look at Exodus 20, it's telling us that we should celebrate 
the fact that God made heaven and earth. So his work was completed mm. by the time we come to that celebration. So only one day fits that picture because if you look at um, the creation account, or the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, which are complementary accounts, you discover there mm. that the Sabbath was was made at creation. Yes. At, the, at the end of that period of physical creation, mm. the Sabbath created in a spiritual sense to represent and to remember those acts. So if you celebrate the dawn of creation, what are you celebrating? There's nothing to celebrate yeah. yet. So, right. Okay, that's a very good point. And the other thing that it also sort of stands out for me, if God has already taken the Sabbath as a sign and as a seal, if someone wanted to set up a counterfeit, an alternative religion to um, bring worship to them, they would have to set up some sort of counterfeit sign of their power and their authority. That's right. And, so they, would have, and they would have to change the day. Yeah, because they can't take that seventh day because it's already a sign it's that God's God. God owns that. Yeah, God owns it. It's already yeah. taken. Hmm. So if you're going to try to challenge God's authority, then you have to set up an alternative day. Mm. Now, it's interesting that the dawn of creation is the rising sun, and that was the day of the sun, which was Sunday, or the first day of the week, the name given, you know, the day of the sun given, to, uh, and the name Sunday, yes. basically the name given to it mm. by pagans. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So... Interestingly, we, just, you know, the scripture is just so, so integrated and so consistent when it looks at these issues. And I'd like you to look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 16, because one of the things about sun worship is that it's actually mentioned in the Bible. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So let's have a look at um, Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 16. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east, and they were worshipping the sun towards the east. Okay. This is in God's house or outside of God's house. That's right. These people were Jews. Well, there's 25 of them, so that must be the 24 priests plus the one, which is the high priest. Yeah, so this is serious stuff. Yes. So the Jews were given the Ten Commandments. They weren't exclusively given to the Jews because most people recognize that um, the Ten Commandments are moral commandments and are are universal. Mm -hmm. And the only one that's really questioned about its universality is the Fourth Commandment which is the Sabbath commandment. Yes. Oh, no, that was just for the Jews. Jews yeah. No, it wasn't, because if you look in the New Testament, it tells us that the oracles of God were given to the Jews to give to us. In other words, it was to be handed on. Mm. The other thing was in um, Isaiah chapter 56, when someone joined themselves to the Jewish religion, joined themselves to the Jews, they kept the Sabbath. That mm, was a requirement right. as well. Yeah. So God's idea was that he also says in um, Isaiah 49 verse 6, is a messianic prophecy, but it's also applied to humans in the New Testament, and that is that the role of the Jews was to be a light to the Gentiles. They were a special people, but mm. they were set up with a special task. They weren't special in the sense that they were better than anyone else, but they had to be given a task that was special, and that was to reach the world yes. with the knowledge of God's law. Mm. And so anyone who wants to attack God 
has to attack this particular commandment, the fourth commandment, because that's the one that actually tells us why he has authority in the first place. That's right. But they, they use deceptive means to do that because they say, it's a, as you're saying, it's a Jewish institution that was only given to the Jews. But Jesus clearly says that the Sabbath was given to man. Yes. Not man to the Sabbath. And then he obviously talks about the order of creation because man was created first. Then God ended his work. He rested on the Sabbath day. And when he rested, then he sanctified it, set it apart, made it holy. Yes. So it was given to mankind. And the Jews were simply, as you said, given the oracles, which included the Sabbath. And that was to be handed on to us. They were actually the people who protected and kept that knowledge of God alive. Well, let's see if God was happy about this. Okay. In in verses uh, 17 and 18 of Ezekiel 8. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and they have turned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore you also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud cry, I will not hear them. So what's the message you're getting from those two verses? Well, God is obviously very much unhappy with what they're doing here because they're violating uh, the principles of the law, which is the law of love, Mm -hmm. and they are now worshipping another god. So essentially departing from him. So Mm. by engaging in the act of sun worship, they're really turning their back, and that's not only symbolically, but also literally. Yeah. Well, it's to their own detriment. It says they're going to put the branch to their own nose, so they're going to actually give themselves a blood nose through the process because of their insubordination. So they're worshipping the sun. They've got the temple of God behind them. Mm. Turning their backs on God. Turning their backs on God. Not only physically, not only symbolically, but also physically they're turning their backs on him. And so he's not very happy about that. Mm. This whole issue of apostasy in relationship to the Sabbath wasn't uncommon in Israelite history. God returns to this theme in Ezekiel 22 and verse 26, if you'd like to read that for sure. us. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Mm. Mm. So if you get a desecration of the Sabbath in Old Testament times, then you shouldn't be surprised if you see it in New Testament times. That's a good point. And so um, this whole issue of uh, distinguishing between the holy and the common comes in here. Which were the common working days? Well, the first six, Sunday through to Friday. Okay, which was the only one that was given a holy status? Well, the seventh day, which is Sabbath, which is Saturday. Okay. Do you think God actually intended that his commandments be followed, based on what we've read so far? I would say so. God doesn't really play any games, does he? No. So what we are finding is that Scripture presents a God who intends his instructions to be followed, a God who expects humanity to recognize the difference that he has placed between the holy and the common. Yeah. Well, the Bible is very clear. There's only one good lawgiver. Man is not a lawgiver, so we're either a lawkeeper or a lawbreaker, but there's only one lawgiver. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now let's have a look at Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court that faces toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. Okay, so there's a distinction between the holy and the common. Hmm. He actually says they are common working days. Hmm. and and, And he makes a distinction between the common working days and the Sabbath which has been given a blessing back in, in Genesis yeah. and repeated. 
So we've got a couple of other examples that I think will be helpful here too. In the time just prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments, God instructed the Israelites to keep the Sabbath, something they hadn't been able to do in Egypt. One of the first things he's trying to do when they are delivered out of Egypt is to restore them to the, the practice of Sabbath keeping. He also highlighted the lesson by asking the Israelites to gather double the amount of manna on Friday or the sixth day and not by providing any on the seventh day or Sabbath. So he obviously intended the time component to be taken seriously. Mm. And we know this from Exodus 16, verses 26 to 30. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So this is, the, this is in reference to the manna. Hmm. And what he's saying is if you go out on Friday, you'll get enough. You can get double on Friday and it'll last you the Sunday morning. Yes. How interesting. But if you go out on Saturday, there's none. Hmm. There's nothing there. Interestingly also, if they uh, take a double portion on any of the other days other than Friday to prepare for the Sabbath, yes. they it actually spoiled. It yeah. went rotten and had worms in it. Okay. So what's God telling What's God telling us on this? He's telling us that he's actually particular. Absolutely. He has a specific reason. Now, it's not just a, an arbitrary reason, as we, as we saw before. Mm. It's because this is the sign, the link, that we are in relationship with him and that we are obedient to him and that we are his people. Mm. And so this wasn't just God saying, look, you have to do it on this day or else. Saying, no, there's a lot packed into this relationship. Yeah. And... Uh, this day is the day that I especially set aside. And so I want you to actually observe that day. And he's demonstrating so far through the passages that we've looked at that this is a really, this is a really important issue to him. Now, there's another incident in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 to 18. This is a similar incident to the one that we've just looked at. Nehemiah 13, 15 to 18. In those days I saw people in Judah treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And they contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Hmm. So what were they doing? Yeah, trading on the Sabbath. Just, just a normal day. Just a normal day, one of the common working days. Hmm. And so God's expressing through Scripture the fact that he's particular about this, about this issue. Hmm. And the reason for that, um, for being particular in this case is because everything's packed into this this day. It's a sign of relationship. It's a day of worship. It's a day of rest. Uh, it's a day that we acknowledge God as the creator. Mm. So all of these things are packed into this particular issue. It's not just a, a question of God being arbitrary and selecting one day and just saying, do this or else. So the evidence is clear that God's particular. 
That's what we're seeing in these particular verses. He's anticipated and denied the argument that it's irrelevant which day we worship on. Yes. Because I hear that argument. You, know, mm. you can worship on every day of the week, and you can, mm. but there's only one day that God has specifically commanded worship. Well, this did right, yeah. And that's on, and that's on, and that's on the Sabbath, and uh, and it's also a day of rest. So we're to stop our normal activities, and we are to observe the Sabbath as a day of rest, day of fellowship, day of worship, and so forth. Mm. And uh, when you look at the issues around. Uh, God and the Ten Commandments, you see that this first issue over the manna happened actually before the Ten Commandments were given. That's right, yeah. Exodus 16 versus Exodus 20. That's right. And so when you come to the Ten Commandments, the first time God speaks to the people in thunder tones, and they are trembling, Mm. then he asks Moses to come up to the mountain. God gives him two tables of stone written with his own finger. Moses comes down from the mountain finds the people. They, they thought he'd disappeared. Um, comes, he came, came down from the mountain, smashes the stones in righteous anger at what he saw the people doing. Mm. So he has to come back up. This time he has to bring the tables himself, tables of stone, and God writes on them again. So do you think that God intended them to be temporary? Yeah, certainly not. Doesn't sound like it. Now, there's an additional problem for those who want to say that you can change the day of worship. And that is um, found in, t- in the comparison of two passages, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 to 17, and Galatians 3.15. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 15, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament's in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Okay. So it's basically like a will. Hmm. So when Jesus died, he sealed his testament or his will. That's, yeah, the will's right. not in effect until he dies. Hmm. But once he dies, it can't be changed. And we see that from Galatians 3 and verse 15. Yeah, and it says, Their brethren I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So no one could change God's testament. So if there was to be a testament, anything that was to be in that testament had to be in it before Jesus died because mm. he sealed the testament with his death. That's right. It's like an agreement, like a will. Mm. And so basically Sunday came through to three days too late there to be included in the Testament because it wasn't in the Testament. That's right. So this um, means that God never intended that the solemnity of the Sabbath would be transferred to Sunday. Now, some people say, well, you know, you look at the New Testament and it doesn't restate the Sabbath. That's true. Mm. I mean, it's implied in many places. Sure. But it doesn't specifically restate the Sabbath, mm. the Sabbath commandment. Well, there's, there's more evidence then in the practices of the apostles and of Jesus regarding the Sabbath than there's anything stated about Sunday. Matter of fact, Sunday is not mentioned as a day of worship or a change anywhere in Scripture. No, and you've got to remember that um, a commandment remains in effect until it's repealed. Yes. Remember that God spoke the Ten Commandments on, on Mount Sinai. Mm. He spoke them to the people. 
and then it was written in stone. So if we were to have a repealing of the fourth commandment, we would have to have God doing something similar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and certainly um, repealing it verbally mm. and probably in writing as well. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Now, we were just working through that sequence of events there in Exodus. You know, you said Exodus 16 where the manna was given, the Sabbath principle was there, and God said, you're breaking my Sabbath. We're going out to try and collect manna on the Sabbath, and there was no manna there. Then also we know that uh, as they were still having the discussions with Pharaoh to say, let my people go, Pharaoh's complaint to Moses was that he had reestablished the Sabbath because he says you cause the people to rest. Now, the word rest there is to sabotage. Mm-hmm. In other words, they had lost sight of the Sabbath. He was making them work seven days a week as slaves. When Moses came in, one of the first things he reinstituted was the Sabbath. So then when they come through into the, into the desert, it is reemphasized. And then, of course, it's finally written in the Ten Commandments on tables of stone. But the whole process of taking them into the promised land was the reestablishment of the Sabbath, which is a sign or a symbol, a memorial of creation, that they know who the God is that saved them was the God that created them. And I believe as we go into the promised land as well, as believers in the last days, that God will reestablish the Sabbath as well as an important sign between us and him that we may know that he's the God who created us and the God who redeems and sanctifies us. Okay, so let's unpack a couple of those issues that Mm. you've raised there. One is the one that we mentioned before, and that is that if you have a law proclaimed in the parliament, for example, in one of our states here in Australia, yes. It can't be changed anywhere but in the parliament. Right. You can't have a couple of people going to some obscure part of a state and proclaiming a change of the law. It has to be done in the same place it was proclaimed. Hmm. So the principle is if there is no repeal, no specific repeal, it remains in effect until it's repealed. That's a, yes. re- that's a really important principle. I think um, the other one is that uh, if you have um, a Sabbath commandment, it's quite different from the laws that were looking forward to Christ, mm. the ones that represented Christ, so the, the sanctuary services, the services in the temple, the ones that look forward to Christ. When Christ came, he fulfilled those laws, so they were no longer in effect. Yes, They were looking forward, but the Sabbath actually is a commandment that looks back. It says, remember the Sabbath day, so it's looking back to something that's taken mm. place. So yes. it's not of the same type. No, it's not, because that institution existed before sin existed. Just like marriage, the two institutions that come out of Eden before sin entered was the institution of marriage, yes. and the other institution is the Sabbath. So anything that happened subsequent to that, because of sin, death entered the world. Because of death and sin, we needed a savior, and then death was a result of sin. All the, the laws that were added because of the sin factor were temporary. It's very interesting that you mentioned the the marriage as well as the Sabbath because Mm. those were the two institutions that came down to us from prior to the fall of man. Yes. And they're both related. If you think about it, Mm. the Sabbath is not only the the sign of the relationship with God, it's also an opportunity for relationship with family. Mm. So the Sabbath is not only designed to preserve our relationship with God but also to preserve our relationships with our family members. It's interesting that the first full day that Adam and Eve had was the seventh day. Yes. Because Adam was created at the beginning of the, the sixth day, and the animals were brought to him. He named the animals. He saw his need of a mate, a, a helpmeet comparable to him, like him. And then, of course, he was put into a deep sleep. So this was after the animals were named, put into deep sleep. Eve was then brought to him. So somewhere later on in the sixth day, 
The seventh day was the first full day the family spent time together. And, of course, they spent it with God. Okay. So it's a God and family day, yeah. So now let's go, let's go back to the New Testament and let's have a look at uh, the New Testament. If the law is in effect until it's repealed, hmm. let's see what we can find in the New Testament about the Sabbath because only God can actually change the Ten Commandments. That's right. And I, I like the analogy you brought up before that if uh, a body, whether it be a legislative body, has the authority to institute a law, it is only the same body that can actually repeal that law or change it. That's true. So no other body uh, can do the same thing because they don't have the authority and power, and they can't even usurp that authority because no law would recognize it. That's right. So when we go to the New Testament, we discover a couple of things that are really important in terms of what we've just said. The first is that God is the only person who can change the divine law, but Mm. we find no record of that change. Yes. And secondly, we find no positive command for Sunday. Hmm. So that's, I think that's very powerful evidence of the continuity and the perpetuity of the fourth commandment. Now, if you look at Mark chapter 2 and verses 27 and 28, I think we see that universality and perpetuity of the Sabbath being taught there. Hmm. Yeah, and he, that is Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Interesting. By the way, that word man is anthropos, from which we get the term anthropology, meaning man. So Mm. it's not talking about Jews here. It's talking about mankind. Mankind, right. right. So when it says the Sabbath was made for man, it doesn't say the Sabbath was made for Jews because the selection of words makes that impossible. The Sabbath was made for anthropos, for man. Hmm. And uh, and so this is really denying any transfer of sacredness from the sure. Sabbath to Sunday. And now when it says there, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, who is the Son of Man? Oh, Jesus, because he called himself the Son of Man. That's right. And in Ezekiel also we see the reference to the Son of Man as well as a representative of, of Christ. But the, 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 the commandments, the, the fourth commandment says that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. And here Jesus is claiming that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yes. So he would have been the one in his pre-incarnate state as God actually speaking the commandments at Mount Sinai to the uh, children of Israel. And Colossians 1 tells us that he was the creator. Hmm. So we, we see through all of this that the Sabbath has a, a unique importance. And so when you look at the whole question of the silence of the New Testament, either on the change of the Sabbath, repealing of the Sabbath, or a positive command for another day, it's silent. Hmm. So, and then this evidence, when you put it alongside this evidence, you realize that the Sabbath still has its unique authority even into the, even into the New Testament. Now, you know, the issue of circumcision was pretty explosive, wasn't it? I mean, you read the book of Galatians, book of Romans and so forth. You realize that circumcision was a huge matter. Mm. But that would have only been minor in compared to the Sabbath. If the apostles were teaching the change of the Sabbath, that would have been more explosive than any other issue that we see written about in the New Testament. Absolutely. And then when we look at the historical record, we find the Jews being... Uh, preached to on the Sabbath, but not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Gentiles and people yeah. say, well, they had the Gentiles had to come along to be there because that's when Paul was preaching. Mm. Um, I don't think the argument actually fully works because yes. occasions where um, the, 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 um, the Gentiles 
mm. were clearly meeting to, to worship God on that day as well. Sure. So, Look, I think the continuation of the Sabbath day being assumed in the New Testament is very clear because Jesus in his prophecy in Matthew 24, when he talks about them fleeing in the last days, he says, pray, pray that your flight will not be in the winter mm-hmm. or on the Sabbath. Now, he's talking about post his resurrection, sometime in the future when there will be a time of trouble, when the people of God had to flee. And, of course, that was a fulfillment with uh, what happened in 70, leading up to 70 AD with the um, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple there. But then also in the last days because he's answering both. So he saw that the Sabbath was valid, 70 AD leading up to 70 AD, and also that the Sabbath would be valid in the end times. Maybe we should have a look at that passage because I think there's a couple of other points here that we can make as well. Matthew 24, and I think we should start about verse 16. Matthew 24, verses 16 to 20. It says, And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go to get back his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Okay, to whom is the instruction directed? Look at verse 16 again. What does it say? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so it's directed to the people in Judea. Judea, that's right, right, yes. Now, I've heard the um, objection that this was just given to the people in Jerusalem, Mm. saying Judea. And people say, well, the reason why you wouldn't want to be fleeing on the Sabbath is because the gates would be shut. Okay. All right. No, that's not the reason. The Mm. reason why you wouldn't be traveling on the Sabbath is because it was a holy day. And unnecessary travel on that on that day made it less holy. That's right. And so and the other one was um, not not during the winter. Mm. I mean it'd be pretty cold. You wouldn't want to be fleeing and you wouldn't want to have a baby when you're fleeing Mm. during that time. So for the two reasons uh, that are given there, I believe that the Sabbath is still in effect, and Jesus intended it still to be in effect because he talked about it. If he knew that he had changed it and had given license for it to be changed, he wouldn't be writing about something in the future expecting that um, the Sabbath would still be in effect. So when you come to the issues, um, pe- another one is that people say, well, the Sabbath was celebrated by the early Christians. Mm. Yes, uh, there's not very much evidence for that until the end of the second century, practically none. But, you know, it wouldn't matter even if the people were doing that. If it's not scriptural, then we could see that in terms of a breakdown of understanding mm. and apostasy from what the disciples had been, what the disciples and the apostles had taught them. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, we saw that when... Uh the children of Israel were in Egypt. They stopped keeping the Sabbath there. We also saw when they were in the promised land already in Ezekiel that they were actually worshipping the sun. And they were in the Nehemiah, we also read that they were violating the Sabbath there. Mm-hmm. So this has been a continuous issue for the church of God, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, in regards to honoring God by observing the Sabbath. Have a look at Second uh, Thessalonians 2, because you could equally see the historical fact that um, a change began to gradually take place, you could see that as a departure from what both Jesus and the apostles had taught. Let's start at the beginning of that chapter. Okay, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you 
not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by the word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself about all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, I want to make some points about that. The first one is historically... That's telling us, Paul's telling us, because the, the, the Thessalonians were expecting Jesus to come back very quickly. Mm. And he said, no, there's got to be a falling away first. Yes. Right? Yeah, the word falling away there means is apostasia in the, in the Greek, which means apostasy. There's okay. an apostasy to take place. And so apostasy the, is normally from the truth. So if, the falling, if there's a fall, falling away predicted and mm. it takes place, what's going to happen? The teachings of the apostolic church are going to be diluted, Mm. rejected, changed in significant ways. Now, verses 3 and 4 there give us a clue as to what's happening. Read those two verses again, 3 and 4. 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, so the apostasy takes place first, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So that's actually talking about the type of apostasy that's taking place. Mm. Right, so the man of sin there, what does he do in the next verses? Okay, in verse 4 it says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Okay, so this brings us back to the issue of worship and the Sabbath because yes. we saw before in Ezekiel chapter 20, and verses 12 and 20, that the Sabbath was a sign of the relationship between God and his people. Mm. You can also see it in Exodus um, 31, 16, 17. Yeah. Maybe have a look at those as well. So Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17. So we see that this issue of apostasy, this falling away, is actually going to involve someone who tries to take over the prerogatives of God in relationship to worship. Mm. I know we, we know from... Um, Psalm 95 and verse 6, which says, Come, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Mm. That worship is based on creatorship. Yes. So if someone wants to take worship, wants to sit in God's place or put themselves above God, they have to do something about worship, as we saw before. That means they have to strike at God's um, Sabbath commandment mm, mm. because that's the one that defines his authority that's right so you have to change it away from the Sabbath if you want to accept worship mm. you want to sit in God's place and that means it's logical that in this apostasy this falling away which is a falling away from God that there would be falling away from his authority and that human laws and traditions would be put in its place That's basically what this passage is telling us. Mm. So Exodus 31 from verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. There you have it. Mm. Scattered through Scripture, this concept that the Sabbath is actually a sign of that relationship with God. So the arguments continue, though, and people say, well, there are references to the first day of the week. Yes, there are. But um, because someone 
perhaps worships on a, on a day, and there are a couple of references mm. where it appears as if the worship might be taking place. Mm. It doesn't matter if you look at um, Acts, Acts chapter 2, for example. It tells us there that um, the disciples went from house to house, breaking bread. In other words, they were having a communion service That's right. from house to house, yeah. not just on the Sabbath, but on other days as well. Mm. So having a worship service doesn't make it the day of worship necessarily. God's already commanded that day, told us what day it is, and drawn a circle around it because he said, you know, this is the day I specifically want you to worship. Mm. And he made it known what his feelings were when people didn't do that. So if you look at all those, we, have, we don't have time to do it now, but if yes. you look at all those references to the first day of the week, you find none of the references provides evidence that the apostles actually observed Sunday. Mm. There's, no, there's nothing there. There's nothing yeah. of that type there. Yeah, it's clear. So in the absence of a positive command to change from Sabbath to Sunday in the New Testament, the whole historical case for Sunday collapses. Mm. It's gone. Practices that crept into the church in succeeding centuries, which we, we might be able to attest to historically, doesn't indicate that it was God's will. The scriptures are the ultimate source of authority. Now, there's another issue too, and this is the one which actually is the basis for the reason for people calling Sunday the Lord's Day, and this is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. So people look at this reference and they say, oh, well, this is, um, this is referring to Sunday. Just read that for us. Sure. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay, so does it tell us which day it was? No, it just says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Okay, so if you use, if you use the scriptural hermeneutic, the principles of interpretation that mm. are embedded in Scripture that we looked at earlier in the series, what we see is that you have to compare one part of Scripture with another part. Mm. So because it doesn't tell us specifically in Revelation one, verse ten, that that's Sunday we would have to find out elsewhere in Scripture. So what's the only day that, that's, that's called the Lord's Day? It's Mark 2, 27 and 28. Yeah. Jesus says that he, the Son of Man, was Lord even of the Sabbath. And, of course, Exodus 20, the fourth commandment, says there that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So, so that's the Lord's Day. Clear. That yeah. has to be the Lord's Day. Hmm. So if there's any doubt about it, the rest of Scripture determines that for us. That's right. So the notion that somehow Revelation one ten is Sunday just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Mm. So the only day that Jesus claimed to be Lord of was the Sabbath. And as you said in Exodus 20, it was the Sabbath of the Lord. Yes. So I think that um, really is, is sufficient for us to see that that's the, that's the appropriate day. Now, reading a later practice back into Scripture, a later historical practice back into Scripture as if it was actually commanded is not appropriate. And we see this from Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. So if we can have a look there, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. So if Saturday, the seventh day Sabbath, is the only day that God called his own, then we can't read later practices back into the scripture. In fact, that's actually warned against in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19. It says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Okay, so adding to or subtracting from Scripture actually get a pretty dire warning in Revelation chapter 22. So this brings us right back, full circle. We started on the issue of authority in the first program in the series. Yes. Now we've arrived back here. So if Scripture doesn't authorize the change from Sabbath to Sunday, is it possible that God has ceded authority for this to take place later when the church has outgrown its Jewish origins? Interesting question. Hmm. So does God cede power to reverse something that he's blessed? We can get an answer to that. Okay. The answer is actually in Scripture. In fact, uh, let's have a look at Numbers chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and him who you curse is cursed. Yeah, so you find there that Balaam is invited by Balak Mm. to come and curse the Israelites. So Balaam advised um, Balak's servants, if ba- if and this is in Numbers 22 and verse 6, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So what happened in, in uh, verse, uh, verses 18 and then t- verse 20? Then Balaam answered and said to his servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his full house of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or do more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Okay. So we see in verse 6 that um, Balaam's invited by Balak to curse Israel. Then Balaam advises Balak's servants, if Balak would give, his, give me his whole house full of silver and gold, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord. Mm. And in verse 20 says, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. Yeah. And so what we're looking at here is the fact that um, God has never given anyone authority to reverse a blessing of his. Mm. And remember right back in Genesis, he blessed the day, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it and made it holy. That is, sanctification is setting something apart. That's right. So the blessing, the holiness, the sanctification was packed right into the Sabbath commandment in the beginning. Mm. And because it's dealing with a memorial, it's not something that's just going to pass away. It has eternal significance. Yes. And so we see here that in the absence of evidence that Christ changed the Sabbath to Sunday or authorized anyone to make this change and leaves it as an open question, we have to say that the the authority of Scripture, on the authority of Scripture, that the Sabbath is still in effect. Mm. It makes it important. And so as we look at these issues, we, we've come that full circle again. We've come back to the whole issue of authority. And this issue of the Sabbath is intimately tied up with that authority. So if no one has the authority to change God's word or his law, and someone tries to do that, then they clearly they don't have the authority of God behind that to do that. Mm. And this brings us to the issue, well, you know, Sunday worship is widespread across Protestantism. Well, I think that's one of its weaknesses because the Roman Catholic Church not only, you know, taunted the early Lutherans. Yeah. 
But today, one of the reasons, I believe, for the ecumenical movement, where Protestantism is moving much closer to Roman Catholicism, is because they've compromised themselves on this relationship of the Sabbath and Sunday. Mm. And until they address that issue, they can't be seen as fully Protestant. So the failure to address that means that eventually they're going to come back closer to Roman Catholicism. Yes. And as we saw, that's not, not necessarily a good thing. The ecumenical movement has a dark side, as we looked at. So this whole issue of authority is intimately tied up with the Sabbath Sunday issue. It's not a side issue. Mm. It's an important issue, and I believe an important issue for the last days. Amen. I agree. You know, and as God said to Israel when they called them out and he reestablished the Sabbath, so also that's a symbol, a symbolism of what happened in the last days when God calls his people out again to take them into the promised land, into the heavenly kingdom, before, of course, we come down to the new earth a thousand years later. So that aspect of reestablishing the Sabbath is very important. And just before God, God comes, he determines who are his followers and who they are not. And uh, we know that the, uh, the, the, the three angels' messages in Revelation 14 are to take place just right before the harvest. And there are two harvests that ripen. The first harvest is the one of the redeemed that go to heaven. And, of course, the last harvest there are, is the harvest of the wicked. And they, of course, receive destruction. And uh, we read there in uh, Revelation chapter 14 and in verse 7 where this angel with the everlasting gospel flying in the midst of heaven says with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. And why would we to fear God and give him glory? But the hour of his judgment has come. And then this interesting call and worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and springs of water. So during the judgment hour, God reestablishes that worship principle, the principle of the Sabbath, to worship him as God as a sign that he is the God that created us, he is the God that redeemed us, and he is the God that sanctifies us. That is reestablished as it was with the children of Israel the first time before they entered the promised land. Dear listener, we thank you for joining us again today. And Dr. Barry, I want to thank you very much for sharing some thoughts out of your book. We've only touched on a few little excerpts from it. I know there's six chapters, and even the chapters that we did cover, we only covered some small elements of it. Yes, yeah. So if people want to get your book, the book will be available from mid-November on Amazon. And you're welcome to look on Amazon to get a copy of that book. Or if you would like more information about today, you're welcome to contact us here at 3ABN. And you can phone us on 0249733456. Or you can send us an email at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We're also on Facebook. So you can go to the 3ABN Australia radio Facebook page. And you're welcome to send us a message there as well. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God will bless you. And also that you continue to search and study the scriptures that he will guide and lead you to prepare for this awesome event that lies ahead of us. Jesus Christ soon return. May God bless you until that day. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia 
all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Hello, my name is Lucas and today I'll be telling you an amazing fact. This amazing fact is called Bizarre Laws. There are some pretty strange laws on the books of different states and cities in the United States. For instance, did you know it is against the law to doze off under a hairdryer in Florida, play hopscotch on Sunday in Missouri, hunt camels in Arizona, insert a penny into your ear in Hawaii, transport an ice cream cone in your pocket in Kentucky, tie a giraffe to a telephone pole in Atlanta, catch mice without a license in Cleveland, whistle underwater in Vermont, put a skunk in your boss's desk in Michigan, bathe less than once a day in Kentucky. And if those don't make you wonder, here are a few more interesting law facts. Did you know the Chico, California City Council enacted a ban on nuclear weapons, setting a $500 fine for anyone detonating one within the city limits? Did you know there are about 2 million laws in the United States? If a man reviewed them at the rate of two a day, he could be qualified to act as a law-abiding citizen in about 6,000 years. In ancient Rome, all the laws were ordered by Emperor Justinian to be complete during the 6th century AD. With 16 assistants, Tribonian came up with the 2,000 volumes after three years. Here's a final strange history fact on law. According to Robert Ripley, the French statesman Ferdinand Flocon was the only man who succeeded making a poem out of the law. He took the whole French civil code with the 2,281 articles, statutes, annotations and amendments and converted them into an immaculate poem of 120,000 words, perfect in rhyme and meter. He did it ostensibly to make the many laws more palatable. Someone once said the more lawless a people, the more laws they will need. Yet in ten simple principles any child could learn, God was able to summarize the whole duty of man towards God and his neighbor. But how sad is it that many pastors are teaching the Ten Commandments still have too many laws. The Bible says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Every commandment of God is important. None of them are bizarre or to be set aside. I hope you enjoyed the story and the amazing fact. Taken from Amazing Facts, copyright 2016 by Amazing Facts, used with permission.